0: Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. So we are at the midpoint in our message series on the Beatitudes, which is this list of qualities that Jesus says that when people have them, God blesses those people. Or maybe a better way to put it is that people who have these qualities will be most at home in the new kingdom that Jesus is putting in place. They're going to be the most comfortable there. And the next characteristics of those people who will be the most comfortable in Jesus's new kingdom, uh, this next quality is found in Matthew 5, 6. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, before we get too deep into understanding what Jesus means by this, uh, first we need to talk about chicken. Okay, so let's talk about chicken. When my son Calvin was little, uh, he used to be really Unintentionally funny. Okay, he would just say the funniest things. In fact, I literally started a Twitter account just for the purposes of documenting his what I called Calvinisms because they were just so good. And one night for dinner, Terry made this delicious pork loin, which she's a very good cook, FYI. And she called us all in to come and eat dinner. Calvin sat down and he looked at the food on his plate and he poked around on the pieces of pork that Terry had cut up for him with his fork. And after thinking for a second, he looked up and he said, "'Mom, what kind of chicken is this?' "'It's pork,' Terry said. "'Pork chicken?' Calvin asked." And so we explained to him that pork came from a pig and not from a chicken, and then we all had a really great laugh about it. But I kid you not, whether it was pasta, stir-fry, steak, For years after that, whenever Calvin didn't know what kind of meat was in food, he would genuinely ask, what kind of chicken is this? And we'd be like, Calvin, it's not chicken, that's salmon. It's not a bird, it's fish. But for Calvin, the complexities of different kinds of meat were boiled down and simplified into one simple conclusion. All meat is just different kinds of chicken. Now you may laugh at that, but we all do it. I mean, for example, this is pop and so is this. And so is this. They have totally different flavors, colors, and chemical makeups, but they are all pop. Maybe you call them soda or sody, sodi pop. And there are places in the South where people call all of this Coke. Now this is a Coke and this is a Coke. You could order a Coke at a restaurant and the server will say, what kind of Coke you want, sugar? Pepsi or 7-Up? Sometimes in order to simplify things, we will label multiple different things with one word, even when those things are not exactly the same thing. We have a good example of this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, because while the NIV translation translates uh, this as, blessed are, the, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... The New Living Translation translates Matthew 5 6 as this. It says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Righteousness and justice. Now, those are two very different things in our vernacular. I think that righteousness for most people would signify like a state of personal holiness or religious observance. If someone believes right and lives right religiously, then they are righteous. Justice, on the other hand, is equity and fairness. And it's not just for an individual person, but it's for a whole community of people, for society. So what is Jesus really saying? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for personal holiness and religious observance, or blessed are those who hunger for fairness and equity in society. Which translation is right and how did we even get here? So in the Old Testament, Righteousness and justice, they come from two different Hebrew words. So, for example, Psalm 33, verse 5, it says that the Lord loves righteousness and justice. Two different distinct words. Now, when, when Greek became the common language about 400 years before Jesus was born, when Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world, other languages were translated into Greek so people could speak what was called the common tongue when that happened, the separate Hebrew words for righteousness and justice, uh, they kind of got smashed together into the one Greek word that was used in Matthew 5, 6. So for us to understand what Jesus meant when he was actually teaching this, we need to understand what these words meant to him. How did Jesus see righteousness and justice? You now, to do that, we need really look no further than in the scriptures that he was raised on and in the scriptures that Jesus knew so well. I mean, we, we already saw in Psalm 33.5 that the Lord loves righteousness and justice and that in this verse, they are paired together. Now, this was very common in the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament, pairing righteousness and justice together. Check this out. Psalm 89.14 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice together as the foundation of God's throne. Now that's big because if you were to say of a king that violence was the foundation of his throne, it would mean that that the main thing his kingdom is built on is violence. Or of a queen, if you said that conquest is the foundation of her throne, It would mean that the defining feature of her rule, the main thing, would be the conquest of other nations and expansion. As the foundation of God's throne, righteousness and justice are the defining feature of his rule and reign, of his kingdom. And we can see how important they are to God, righteousness and justice, just by skimming the Old Testament. I mean, Psalm 103.6 says this, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed or who are treated unfairly. Amos 5.24 says, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream, they're paired again. Hosea 2.19, in kind of alluding to a marriage relationship to paint a picture of God and the people of Israel, God says, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice. In God's kingdom, righteousness and justice are implicitly and completely connected. They are inseparable from each other, which is still complicated for us because the way we look at them as... Um, individual personal holiness and as equity or fairness for others, it's still a little weird. They don't feel like the same thing. They don't feel like they balance out. In fact, I think the struggle between righteousness and justice between these two things is one of the biggest tensions that exists in the modern American church. I mean, is individual conversion to Christianity, the answer to the problems of the world, or is it the pursuit of justice for those who are oppressed? Should we acknowledge and fight systems and structures of racism? Or should we let God change hearts by pursuing personal holiness? Should we invest in social justice or should we invest in religious righteousness? These are things that really are tearing apart churches in the United States. And within these questions, there's this fear from both sides that a focus on one or the other is bad. There's a fear that a focus on social justice will erode the importance of holiness and the importance of good doctrine and theology. Or there's a fear that a focus on personal piety will result in a church that excludes and ignores the very real needs in our world. So which wins? Religious practice or social equity? I think our answer is found in the message that God gave the prophet, uh, prophet Isaiah to give to the people of his day. And this is what God said. He said, tell my people Israel of their sins. They act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They they ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. Now this picture of the people that Isaiah is depicting, really it's, it's of people who are really religious, right? I mean, they're doing all the things that people who value holiness should do, aren't they? They come to church, to the temple every day. They love hearing about and learning about God. I mean, it, it looks like they're following all of His laws and it literally says that they would never abandon those laws. They regularly fast and pray. I mean, if you add all these things up, it looks like all the things righteous people should be doing, right? Attending church, studying and obeying the Bible, praying. So why is God not answering their prayers? Why is he so obviously displeased with them? Why does he say that they're just acting righteous? God continues, I will tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, of bowing your heads like reeds and bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think that this is what will please the Lord? The people are doing all the right religious things. They're they're going through all of these religious activities correctly. They're doing all the stuff right. But something's missing. God isn't interested in this kind of righteousness. So, So what is it? What's missing? Well, it continues. God says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. That's the kind of fasting God says he wants. But... That sounds a lot like justice, doesn't it? And I know this is a loaded term in our culture, but it actually sounds a lot like social justice. Listen, God cares about the oppressed. It should come as no surprise that God cares about the poor, the hungry, the homeless, the imprisoned. And it's a thread that runs all throughout Scripture. Isaiah 1.17, God says this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. Zechariah 7.9-10 through says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. And then Deuteronomy chapter 10, this is is what God is giving down as his law to the people of Israel at the very beginning. He says, for the Lord your God is the God of God and Lord of Lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. And this is what that great God wants. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and he gives them food and clothing so you too must show love to foreigners. Now, I don't care what your politics are, but when you look at this, how should we treat people who are oppressed? How should we treat people who feel crushed under the weight of poverty or racism or broken homes and families? How should we respond to people who cross our borders illegally looking for a better life and end up living in tent cities? And if you could just for a moment Put your preconceptions aside, put your ideologies aside, and look at God's heart expressed in Scripture for what it is. It's so clear how people who are part of His kingdom are called to live, are called to pursue justice for others. And when we do, look at how God responds. Isaiah 58, eight through nine says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. The pursuit of justice for others is godliness. When you do these things, then your godliness will lead you forward. Do you know what righteousness really is? I think we get it wrong because it isn't personal holiness or religious observance. Righteousness is when things that are off and broken are being made right. The first and foremost of these is our relationship with God. A righteous person is someone whose relationship with God that has been broken by sin is being made right. We are first made right by God, by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that dealt with the brokenness of our sin. And now, as followers of Jesus, God is interested in continuing to make us right by leading us to live right. And his first concern with how we live, get this, it's not how well or how often we perform religious activity, but it's how well we love others. So the question to which, to which version of Matthew 5, 6 is correct? Is it blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or those who hunger and thirst for justice? That question is answered. And the answer is that it's both. Because true righteousness will always hunger and thirst for justice. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, as related in the Gospel of Luke, He went to the synagogue to teach in his hometown. And when he stood to read out of the scriptures, the beginning of his ministry, this is what he said, the scroll of Isaiah and the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All of the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus saw his mission as the completion of God's desire for righteousness and justice. He didn't choose this verse by accident. He was announcing his kingdom, a kingdom of people who are at home, who are comfortable pursuing righteousness by pursuing justice for others. This is a part of following Jesus that the church can no longer ignore. We can't hide in our four walls or small groups while ignoring the suffering of other people. We can't let our political ideologies about what's right and wrong keep us from living out and pursuing the scriptural mandate, the Jesus mandate for what's right and wrong. Micah 6.8 says this, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God requires of us. And it's not just for the good of those we serve. It's for our good, too, because Psalm 106.3 says, "'Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right.'" Really, it's what Jesus says. "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, because they will be filled There's so many ways that this could be lived out and played out in our lives. But I want to encourage you at the very beginning, can we just start with the recognition that justice matters to Jesus? That people who are hurting, who are poor, who are oppressed, who are struggling under the burden of racism or other systems and structures that are making things harder or less equitable for them than they are for others, that that matters to Jesus, because people matter to Jesus. And part of God setting the world right, part of God instilling righteousness, both in us and in His world, is making right our relationship with Him, making right our relationship with others, and making right the broken systems and structures that are hurting people that He loves and that He cares about. And because He does, the people of the church who make up the body of Christ will be his hands and feet in going into this world to bring about justice. And as we do, we become righteous in the way that God always planned and intended for us to be. So this week, let's live it out. Let's ask God how he would have us live it out. And let's bring justice into our world, into our circles and in our community. And in doing so, let's bring righteousness into our church and into our world and our community. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.